0: All right. So tonight um, we are on page ninety-three or chapter ten, uh, and we're going to be dealing with baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, those are the only two ordinances um, that that Southern Baptist recognizes ordinances. Um, there are. Um, we, we will have baby dedications from time to time, but we don't recognize that as an ordinance. Uh, like uh, some, some denominations have christenings or um, dedications or other, they may call it other things, but, but they recognize it as an ordinance from God. Um, we don't recognize that as an ordinance from God. It's just something that we will do. Uh, and, and again, also with marriage, we don't recognize that as an ordinance that God has given us. This is what you do. This is how you do it. Um, It's just something that we will do when the time is uh, required and there are funerals. Uh, We also do not recognize those as ordinances. So you take, you know, um, Catholic church, um, churches with a lot of liturgy. Some of those other things might be considered ordinances, but the Baptists do not. We only have baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, And so what I'm going to try to do is go through the actual article there on page 93 but maybe a little bit quicker so I can save some time so that we can look at some of the things in the book. Um, they, have, they have some helpful little things that will bring up some topics that maybe we wouldn't talk about as we just go through the words here on page 93. Um, <clears throat> so I'll start with that. It says, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is, a, it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership And to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. Obviously, that's a very dense statement. There's a lot to go with there. um, But let's get into it. So Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water. Uh, We'll start with with that because if you have been to multiple kinds of churches multiple denominations You have probably seen baptism done a number of different ways Um, You have probably seen baptism uh, Performed on infants if you have been in different churches, you have probably seen baptism performed by sprinkling um, in different places, but the the Southern Baptist doctrine is by immersion And I can kind of tell you why that is, and we'll look at some other things that might help with that. Um, The word baptize is not really an English word. Um, For that word, it's transliterated straight from the Greek. Now, the Greek word baptizo, uh, it just is defined to immerse. Um, And so that is the Baptist teaching. Now, there are times uh, where you may have to do something different. Um, I have definitely heard stories where people were um, physically not able to get in a baptismal pool or to get in a lake or a creek or whatever and be baptized that way. And in those cases, you're going to do what you're going to do. Um, there's pretty good argument that maybe um, when the, the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, he, 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 was, he was, had been converted, he said, look, there's some water, let's be baptized now. That may not have been a living body of water. That could have been a puddle or something. Um, that he was wanting to be baptized in at that moment. So there are some arguments for maybe some other things. And we also, um, as Baptists, do not believe that any ordinance actually um, imparts grace. So in fact, before we go any further, let me, uh, let me ask you to flip. We're going to go back to page 93, but I want you to flip over uh, to page 94 and just look at the conversation that they're having there. The difference between an ordinance and a um, sacrament. So with an ordinance, this is something that God has told us to do. He's told us how to do it. Um, and we believe that it is um, a, I guess you would say, a, uh, a, a rite or a, 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 um, a symbol. It's a picture. Okay? And so that's what we think of when we think of baptism. As Baptists, we think of it as a picture of something that's happening um, behind the scenes, not necessarily behind the scenes, but in the heart and in, and in the eternity. Um, <clears throat> that's also what we think about when we think about the Lord's Supper. There are other denominations, Protestant denominations, as well as uh, the Catholic Church that would call these things sacraments. Um, and a sacrament is, the understanding of a sacrament is that it actually is part of the grace experience. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's part of salvation. Um, and so uh, and, and I'm, because the Baptist Church is not Protestant uh, or wasn't among the first wave of Protestants, I'm not going to specifically compare us just to the Catholic Church. But in this case, I will uh, just a little bit that, you know, life, salvation, everything came from the church. And so the, or, the, the sacraments of the church, were part of your grace experience. It was kind of like a step-by-step process to eternity. Um, And Baptists do not believe that way. We believe that salvation is a personal, um, spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ that transforms our souls. Um, And then the things that we do afterwards are basically illustrating and telling the story of what happened in that moment. And so that's what baptism would be. So if you look there um it says draw lines to connect uh symbol and sacrament so symbol um would be a christian rite as a picture uh, sacrament you would draw the line up a christian rite as a means of grace we do not believe that we receive the grace of god through a practice or a symbol or a rite or any kind of ritual we just don't believe that we believe that we receive the grace of god strictly from the blood of jesus christ that's how we receive it and so um, so that's where that goes. Um, so go back to 93 so we can kind of follow along here. Um, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water. Um, again, it, it, immersion is, is full, full immersion into water. That's, the, that's what the word quite literally means. I understand that there are exceptions and times where it may be a little different, um, but that's what the word literally means. But also as Baptists, even though that is like our name, we do not believe you have to be baptized to be saved. Um, that's, that's, where, that's where we might differ from some other churches. We don't believe that's part of your salvation. We believe that it's something that you do after you are saved. Um, it, the believer in water, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get that straight from Jesus. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's how we do it. Um, we, we will, before we actually baptize, we will say, I baptize you in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And then we baptize. Um, and so this goes on to explain it is an act of obedience, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried and risen savior. Um, and so it is a symbol and it is symbolizing the, the person that's about to be baptized, their faith in Jesus and, and the gospel is the way is basically what, you, what you've got there. And so typically when I baptize somebody, I'm going to ask some of those questions. I'm going to ask some faith questions for them. Do you, you know, do you admit that you were a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Have you trusted Jesus as the Savior of your life? And when we get affirmative to all of those, that's when we are prepared to baptize. Um, and, and so that, that's part of it. Um, And so those those are the basic components of the gospel. Crucified, buried, risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. So what Jesus did was die, be buried, rise again. So what the believer now does, our old life dies. It is buried. It is over. And when we rise, specifically rise out of the water then we are walking in newness of life. We are resurrected into a new life. Um, And that's where your verse at the bottom of the page comes in. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. And so when we baptize, like the physical parts of it is, I will go down slow. When I take someone down, I will go down slow because the old man is dying. But when we come out of the water, we're coming out as fast as I can make it happen because it is a symbol. It is a picture of new life bursting forth just as we imagine Jesus bursting forth from the tomb on that first Easter morning just like we imagine ourselves bursting forth if we if we these physical you know bodies die and we are buried in the ground we believe that when God calls us up we're going to burst forth and so that's the picture that I want us to see when we baptize is that we are bursting forth into newness of life so that is that is the commitment of the believer when the commitment When the believer is being baptized, he believes in Jesus and believes in the gospel, but he also believes that there's been a change in his life. He is a new creature, that all things have been passed away. So the testimony, uh, and and there continuing in the article, it is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. So you're painting the picture of Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, You're painting the picture of the the, the internal change in the believer. The old man died, buried, newness of life. But you're also proclaiming your faith in a final resurrection. So ultimately, when we come out of the baptismal pool in a physical sense, we're the same person. But we're proclaiming that there's coming a day when God will give us a resurrected body, an, an eternal body, one that won't be sick, one that won't break down, one that won't be in danger of, of, of being maimed or, or permanently disabled, we will have a different kind of body, and that's another proclamation of the baptismal pool. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Um, typically, the way that we do this, if we have a brand new convert, somebody comes in and, and they are just now getting saved, we talk to them also about baptism. Um, I want people to understand what they do always. Um, I don't want people to do something out of, well, this is the next step, and so you do it because it's the next step. So I don't mind if people wait some time to go ahead and think about what does this baptism mean? What am I actually saying? And then they are baptized. That is, that is the way that it goes, but that is part of it. And so for church membership, we talk about Um, joining as a new believer. If you join as a new believer, then eventually the idea is that you would be baptized. If you are coming from another church, then that's a statement of faith or a letter or something like that. But this is understood as part of church membership and also the Lord's Supper. Now, what they seem to be presenting here is a closed communion, which we're about to start talking about communion. Um, But this church doesn't practice that. Um, If you're here on Sunday morning, we're going to say, hey, this is for believers. And so each person's going to have to decide for themselves if that applies to them, and then they partake of the Lord's Supper. But before I get into the Lord's Supper and deal with that, I do want us to look at um, page 95. Let's just look through the true-false things. So number one, the mode or form of baptism is not important. Well, um, according to Baptist doctrine, that is, that is false. Uh, and we get that mostly from the word baptize. It means immerse. Um, that is the example that the Jews left before us, and so that's where we get that from. Number two, Baptists practice baptism by immersion because of tradition. Well, no, that's we get it again from the, the Greek word. <clears throat> the Greek word for baptism refers to complete immersion in water, true. Um, we are commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, true. That's part of the Great Commission, what Jesus told us. A believer publicly professes faith in Jesus by the act of baptism. True, that's what we believe. That's they're they're proclaiming their faith. Um, baptism pictures a believer, um, a believer's death to sin and his resurrection to walk in newness of life. True. Okay. Number seven, baptism pictures Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. True. Uh, scripture presents sprinkling as a legitimate mode of baptism. We don't have any examples, and, and we don't have Old or New Testament examples. We don't have examples of sprinkling. Um, there are many, many churches that do it that way, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm definitely not going to judge anybody, but we don't have biblical examples, and we do have a word that means immerse, and so that's typically why we go uh, that route with it. Okay, so now let's look at the Lord's Supper. Um, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, got, we still need to do a little bit more work with baptism. Um, <clears throat> if you look on page 97, if you look on page 97, you'll see Baptists reject infant baptism because, and it says choose one. Uh, scripture reserves baptisms for persons who are conscious believers in Christ. Early church history does not support infant baptism. Baptism is commanded for adults only. The first one is the best answer there. Um, the early church does not support infant baptism. That's actually not true. There were early church, uh, early churches that did practice uh, infant baptism. Um, not, it wasn't widespread, but it did occur. Uh, and then the other thing, baptism is commanded for adults only. There's no age limit. There, there, there is no minimum age. There's no, you must be this tall to ride this ride. There's none of that. It just says that you have to make a choice to follow Jesus in, in order to be baptized. That's, that's what we are taught And so that's what we believe. So people say, well, what about babies? And so, Baptists, we do have baby dedications. Um, And when we do a baby dedication, we are are speaking to the parents and to the church. So we're telling the parents, you are now dedicating this child. You're saying that you are going to raise that child in a godly home. You're going to have that child in church. You're going to train that child in the gospel and in discipleship. And that child is going to grow up. Uh, as a Christian. And we're also challenging the church to be a good church, a nurturing church to that child and to that child's family so that they grow up that way. And so that's what we do with a baby dedication. Um, But we do not at that time baptize. That comes later. Um, So the, the other statement there, Baptists reject the belief of some groups that baptism saves, baptismal regeneration, because choose one. Early Baptists voted to reject baptismal regeneration in a business meeting. <clears throat> Early church taught against baptismal regeneration, or we are saved by faith alone. Going to go with C there. Um, when in doubt, always choose C on multiple choice. Um, but anyway, so in, in that, um, that is a extremely Protestant view. Extremely Protestant view is saved by faith alone. Solo fide. Saved by faith alone. That was one of the ideas that started the Reformation. Um, and, and again, Baptist, we would say that we do not come directly from the Reformation. We're kind of second generation Protestant Reformation. But I don't think we would be where we were if it weren't for the Reformers. Um, and so that's, that's something that we have to recognize. So faith alone, Scripture alone. In Christ alone. Those are the ideas that drove the Reformation. Because remember, the Catholic Church was very much the church saves, the church decides, the church holds the keys to the kingdom. And so that was the picture that that, that had been painted for so long, and now all of a sudden people can read the Bible in their own language. They can hear sermons that actually preach the Bible instead of preach whatever the Pope is upset about or excited about at that particular time. And so now people can learn. And when they learn, that's when they begin to learn that, yes, in fact, you know, we do believe differently than what the church has believed all those years. And so when we look at this, we see we are saved by faith alone. That is why we don't believe that baptism actually saves. Is baptism important? Absolutely, it's important. Jesus wouldn't have included it in the Great Commission where he's telling us to go make disciples. He also tells us to baptize people. So it's definitely important. But does it save? Well, we can't find evidence in Scripture that it's part of salvation. The thief on the cross is an example. He was, he was there, he asked Jesus, remember me in paradise, clearly believing and trusting in Jesus in that moment, and Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. And the Romans were not kind enough to let him get down off the cross long enough to be baptized. And so we know that he went to paradise, he went to be with Jesus, without going through the baptismal pool. So we understand that it's not about salvation, it is simply about obedience. So now let's look at the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, I'm back to page 93, reading that paragraph there, um, the bottom paragraph. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So the background goes all the way back to the Passover. Uh, We do have to remember that, that that's where the Lord's Supper, that's kind of its genesis. If you'll remember... God's people were in Egypt the night before the final plague, uh, which was the death of the firstborn sons. They were taught the Passover ritual, and part of that was slaying a lamb, painting their doorpost. There was a meal that they had, and and it was kind of, well, not kind of, it was very specific what they actually had in that meal. Well, we know that when the angel of death saw the, the blood painted on the door, it passed over. And so that's where it gets the name, the Passover. And the Jews celebrated this for you know, every year from, from that point until even to this day. They're still celebrating the Passover. Well, it was on a Passover Thursday night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So taking some of the elements from that Passover, the unleavened bread... And the purpose for the unleavened bread in the Passover was that at any moment the call may go out and they have to leave at that moment. And so they didn't want to be waiting on bread to rise, and, and, and so that was why it was unleavened. And then obviously the fruit of the vine. Jesus take, took, takes these elements and he begins to institute something new. Same day, same, same general idea of, of saving you know, from certain death. That's where he brings in the Lord's Supper, and he explains these things. And so he gives the bread the meaning or the correlation to his body that is broken. And then of the wine, he says, this is my blood that has been spilled. This is the blood of the new covenant. Um, And so he institutes the Lord's Supper as a memorial of him, the sacrifice that he makes, and also as a reminder that he's coming back. Now when we look at the Lord's Supper, this is another thing the Catholic Church would say it brings forth grace, it is part of grace. Um, and then there are, there are views, it, of course Baptists don't believe that it saves you, um, but there, there are views that also deal with, is the fruit of the vine, is the bread, is it really Jesus? The Catholic Church believed that it really was. When the priest prayed over it, it was absolutely Jesus. Like that was his body and that was his blood. Um, so that's a pretty pretty serious, pretty serious thing there. Uh, Baptists do not believe that. We believe that it is completely symbolic. Um, so it's just reminding us of those things. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Um, we just, we just don't believe that it's transforming. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that those elements transform into the blood and body of Jesus. They represent that. Um, and, and so that's how we have taken it throughout the years. So when we, when we partake of this, um, we are remembering the sacrifice that, that Jesus made. Um, the, the bread, uh, is reminds us that his body truly was broken for us. Uh, the the wine reminds us that his blood sh- truly was spilled for us. That is that is what we that is what we remember, and we also because he re- told us that this also indicates that he is coming back. So we're anticipating his second coming. Um, so I want you to look over on page ninety nine. On page ninety nine, we've got another little fun true false game. <clears throat> The Lord's Supper is a reenactment of the Last Supper that Christ observed with His disciples. No, it's not a reenactment. That that's not what this is. We are not just reenacting something that happened. This is for us. The Lord's Supper is for us. It's not just redoing what's already been done. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is for us. It is part of. It is part of our. Um, spiritual uplifting it is part of our discipleship remembering jesus remembering that he is coming again so it's not just a reenactment the lord's supper was instituted by the early church again false it was instituted by jesus himself he taught us how to do it and so we do it the way that he taught us (coughs) number three in the lord's supper the bread represents the body of a believer who is wholly consecrated to god false no uh, that would be postmodernism. Uh, postmodernism is when you bring meaning and put it in the text. That's what that is. And, and, and no, now I could definitely, definitely see some of the, some of the like super popular, big, huge churches saying something like that because they have a very humanistic point of view where they're putting emphasis on the person and not on the savior. But that is that is false. That is rank heresy. There, um, just so you know. I don't know of any church that has that in their doctrinal statement. If it's if it's there somewhere, then that's definitely wrong. Um, so, but it, somebody has had to have said it in some place, or they wouldn't have asked the question. Number four: the fruit of the vine represents the blood of Christ. True, it does. Uh, and when we think about, if we get right down to the to the to the to the very nature of of growth, uh, fruit, um, food. Isn't it all a gift from God? You know, there's a miracle that happens somewhere from the planting of the seed to the harvesting. There's a miracle that happens. And it's not something that we can force. It is something that God must do. Um, because there, there's, definitely, there's definitely things that happen in, in, the, in the life-bringing process that we can't duplicate. We can't um, make in a synthetic way. It has to happen the way that God has intended it to happen. Um, And so that reminds us of the gift of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper helps save a person. Thoughts? It does not. Um, It teaches us. It reminds us. It is a celebration. And, you know, when we do it and we really pour our heart into it, we do feel moved. I mean, we have had, here at this church, we've had some very moving Lord's Supper services, but it didn't save us. Now, somebody may get saved from understanding what the Lord's Supper is about, that's a wonderful thing and that's part of the purpose of it. But what we have to understand is that it doesn't actually save us. Jesus did that. Jesus saved us and so we don't have to, we're not looking to the Lord's Supper to actually save us. The Lord's Supper alerts a believer to be on guard against personal sin. True, it does. Um, I always try to read the passage from... Uh, First Corinthians, where the Corinthian church was taking the Lord's Supper in the wrong way. They were taking it in an unworthy way. And, and, G, and, and Paul said there, if you uh, eat and drink of the, the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, you're eating and drinking condemnation to yourself. Um, and so I think that's very important that we recognize that personal sin has to be dealt with before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, I never mean that. I never mean for that to just keep people from taking the Lord's Supper at all. What, what I intend is to remind us, hey, we've got to do business with the Lord first. We've got to get those sins confessed. We've got to get that sin repented of. And that way we can be moving forward. Um, and, and so that the Lord's Supper, every time we take it, can be one of those landmark moments in our spirituality where we move forward with the Lord and we, we stop looking back at the way that we have been. So it is an important thing. It, it doesn't save you, but it definitely reminds us to be on guard against personal sin. The elements of the Lord's Supper, bread and fruit of the vine, um, symbolize Christ's atoning work. Now, you can really tell that this is a Baptist that wrote this because they refused to say wine, uh, which is absolutely what Jesus used, absolutely what he used. They won't say that. They'll say fruit of the vine so that we can continue to have our Wilch's grape juice. Um, but, you know, that's a whole different sort of conversation. The elements of the Lord's Supper symbolize Christ's atoning work. Do they do that? Yes, they do. They, they symbolize it. They are not His saving work. They are not His blood. They are not His body. They symbolize it. And that's what we have to recognize there, is that they symbolize those things. And so, um, <clears throat> if we pass out those little cups again that symbolizes the blood of jesus that's probably one of the worst symbols that i can imagine but it symbolizes the blood of jesus but it's not the blood of jesus if you open it up and you squeeze a little too hard it all squirts out everywhere you hadn't just spilled the blood of jesus all over again we haven't re-crucified him in that moment you just spilled some grape juice that, that's what happened there and so we have to recognize that there is that difference it is a symbol but it hasn't actually changed number eight the Lord's Supper is an ordinance for the congregation to observe together. Yes, it is intended to build community. That that is that is part of it, that we together remember Jesus, that we together celebrate the work that he did on the cross, that we together remember his second coming. It's really really important. That that is one of the reasons that in 2020 when churches shut down everywhere, that's one of the reasons that was much more serious. Then i think a lot of people recognized early on you know we closed for maybe six weeks was it six weeks thereabouts nine weeks maybe um it was a, it was a, over a month i know that uh you know because in those early days you were getting these crazy reports of people like we'd seen video of people in china just falling dead in the streets and so we're like wow like we can't mess around with this we don't want people dying you know falling out in church and dying because of the covid and so we didn't know that. And so we did wait a period of time until we realized maybe maybe it's it's safe for us to meet with some regulations. And so at first, I know y'all remember that the, the green tape that we had, we taped off every other pew. And so it's supposed to be family with family, taped off every other pew. We came back and we sang, and it was it was such a happy thing to get back together. And you know, I know that probably our church recognized how badly we wanted to get back together and worship. But you may or may not realize there are churches that are still closed. Still, to this day, they are closed. And that's not good because Christian community is just that important. It is that important. There are people that continue to meet online. Uh, There are people who their church has gone back to being live but they also put their services online and people that only go online. Now, if you have a physical reason to go online, if you're too far away, if you're sick or if you're you know, immune compromised, if there are reasons why you can't be here, that is totally understandable. But if you're a healthy person watching church on TV because it's quote-unquote safer, you're missing out on the community that God has designed the church to provide. That's important. It is important that we meet together. I don't think people recognized immediately the danger of losing that community. You know, when we get together and we sing and we lift up our voices to Jesus, some of us are probably off key. Some of us probably sing the wrong words after we practice it for months and months. We sometimes we'll sing the wrong words. Oh, well, we're praising the Lord and we're doing that together. And that is what God intended for us to do. So you can have a perfect service, but if nobody's there, you're not really doing what God intended us to do. And so the Lord's Supper is intended to be practiced in community. Now there are occasions um, where if you've got somebody that is sick or shut in, that you would go to them and you would share the elements with them and and they could partake of that at their home and that is perfectly fine. Uh, But on a regular basis, Christians need to gather together. And that's part of what the Lord's Supper does, is reminds us that we should gather together, that we should celebrate that as a family of the church and not just individuals. All right, so that kind of brings us to the end of this. I know that was a little bit shorter than some of the others. Are there any questions or comments that you guys would like to make about baptism, Lord's Supper, or anything else like that? We can. Well, let's have a word of prayer, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together. And I thank you for your word that teaches us how to serve you and how to celebrate you and how to remember you. Um, Lord, as we think about baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are, those are reasons to rejoice. As we think about your death, burial, resurrection, your ascension into heaven, your return, those are reasons for us to rejoice. And when someone is baptized, that signifies that they have chosen to believe in you That is also a reason for us to celebrate and rejoice. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering what you did for us. We're also remembering that you're coming back to get us. So Lord, it is all good. It is all good news and all reason for us to celebrate. So I ask you as we do go out of this place that we can go out just excited about you, excited about what you've done in our lives and what you can do in the lives of others. Let us go out declaring the gospel knowing that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes its purpose. Let us be those that declare your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.